We're in this series called Advice to My Younger Self, and the whole series is based off of, you know, what would we tell our younger self? Unless you're Tom, and it's what his younger self would tell his older self. <laughs> Tom Sanko? You're always a wild card. But here's, here's what we're talking about in this series. Basically, it's this question. If you were to visit your younger self, what is the main thing you'd want to tell yourself about a life of following Jesus? I had, the Bonds bought me dinner the other day, and we talked about this question. It's a question for all of us. Now, as speakers, we get the benefit of, we get to say our answer. But I think it'd be good for all of us to ask this question. What exactly would you tell your younger self? What would you want your younger self to know about a life of following Jesus? You didn't know then, but you know now. And here's where we've been so far in the series. Week one, I talked about, I'd want to go to my 20-year-old self. I turned 40, guys, a few days ago. Yes. Yes. I'm about halfway to death. Yes. Woo. Can't wait. Jesus, I'm coming. Sorry. <laughs> I'd, want to, I'd, want to talk to my, I'd want to talk to my 20-year-old self, and I'd want to say, listen, 20-year-old self, there's more. And Ryan would want to talk to his younger self and say, live on purpose. And guys, if you didn't hear that week, man, I, this is something we need to be reminded of just annually almost. Just live your life on purpose. It's such a good message. And last week, Tom talked about what his younger self would tell his current self. Like, look for adventure. Let go. Be more. These are just great messages. I've enjoyed this series so much. And so I get a chance to say a, a second thing that I would tell my 20-year-old self. And it would be this. After I tell my 20-year-old self there is more, I think I'd say something like this. Give God your yes. Give him, Mark, listen, give him your yes. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to break that down this morning. And there was a story, i say about five years ago, I had this kind of interaction with God that, that really challenged me. He was asking for my yes. And, uh, I had just gotten back from the church, gave me a sabbatical, and I was reading this really challenging book by a guy named John Wimber that summer. It was the summer of 2014, and I was looking at this guy's life, and he was kind of burnt out on, on ministry, and then God kind of encountered him, and then after that, he started to see all these breakthroughs of signs and wonders and miracles. People were getting healed right in front of him. But about five years ago, I had a hard time believing that. I was reading this book in Starbucks, and I was just angry at John Wimber for even writing this stuff in his book. I was just, I was full of unbelief and disbelief and doubt and cynicism and skepticism, and I was like, I, this didn't really happen. I mean, he, he told stories of the craziest miracles that you'd pray for people and, and things would happen. I was just like, that really, that was for the New Testament. That was for them. That can't be for today. This is just insane. And I'd slam the book down, and I'd be mad. Then I'd be curious, and I'd pick the book back up, and I'd keep reading, and then I'd slam it down again. And so I was going back and forth with God, like, God, is this really you? Is this fake? Is this, is this, is this guy just a f- full of junk, like, or is he real? Is this real, or is this fake? And I was wrestling with God, and Starbucks, thank the Lord, is only two miles away from my house. And uh, I was on the drive home after reading, and I didn't even make it all the way home. I got three-fourths of the way home. It's only two miles away. And I'm in my car. And my car's old and the, the stereo's broken. Like I, I just, it's just quiet in my car unless I'm singing to myself. And I'm, 
about 500 yards from my house. And I hear the Lord say in my heart, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was like really, really loud inside of me. And here's what I hear him say. Mark, you're one of my fighters. Stop fighting me. And it was both the most encouraging and challenging thing God had ever said to me. And it was simultaneous in that moment. It was a weird feeling. When God speaks, it's like that. You're both incredibly humbled and, and, and encouraged and challenged all at the same time. It's like simultaneous when he speaks. And, and I was, for the one part, I was like really honored that I get to be one of God's fighters. Like the Lord looked down on me and he said, Mark, you're one of my fighters. It was so amazing that he would say that about me. It was so humbling. It was such an honor. I was like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. And then, but the very next part, stop fighting me, was so challenging. And I realized I had been fighting God. I'd been resisting him. And it just broke me. Something inside just broke. And I just started weeping to the point where I couldn't keep driving. I had to pull off to the side of the road. And I just sat in my car and I just wept and I wept and I wept. And it wouldn't stop. It wasn't like a little cry. It was the ugly stuff. And I knew I had been resisting. I knew I had been fighting. I knew that I hadn't been saying yes to him. I had been holding on to a no. And then God took me over after that, over the period of a few months of revealing all these areas of my life that I had been saying no to him. Now, now you have to understand, I, I was a guy that ultimately said yes to God. I wasn't living in rebellion. I was a pastor, for goodness sakes, of this church five years ago. I had helped launch a nonprofit that fights human trafficking in the area. I understand that I'm a person who said yes to God a lot, but what God had to show me is I was also a person that had all these no's still in there. Here's how it went for the disciples when Jesus called for their yes. Mark 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once, at once they left their nets. This is their, not just their occupation, this is their identity. This is not a, like a McDonald's job. This is their career job. This is their, this is their whole livelihood. Their whole world revolved around fishing. They left it to become a disciple of Jesus. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and he left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed them. Think about this. This is the family business. Your dad's there. There's hired men there. This is the family business. You're not just saying no to a job. You're saying no to the family business that Zebedee, the father, right, he wanted to pass this on to his sons. This was the whole point. He was raising up his sons to be the fishermen. He had hired men. He didn't want, hire, he didn't want the hired men to have the fishery. He wanted his sons to have it. He was going to pass this whole legacy on to his sons. They dropped it all. Do you guys get the weight of this? They stepped away from family. They stepped away from their career. Their identity, they stepped away from all of it to follow Jesus. And then Jesus used them to change the world. 
You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about not making vows, not making oaths. He, God, listen, God doesn't want you to, to, inside of you, go, I promise I'm never going to be like, I, I vow. I, I make an oath and shake your fist at heaven and say, I'm never going to be like my parents. God doesn't want you to do that. That's an inner vow. Here's what he says about it. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from where? comes from the evil one. The evil one will use that stuff against you. If you make inner vows and you're like, I am never going to trust anyone again, the enemy's like, oh, thanks for that one. I'm going to just wreck trust in your life. I'm never going to be hurt again. Really? Oh, thank you for that one. I'm going to turn that one on you. This is what the enemy does to those inner vows. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, don't make those vows. Trust in the Lord. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But we can apply that to this message today too. Even though that's not the context, I think at the heart of it, what God really wants from us is either a yes or a no. The crazy thing about God is he'd rather have your your no. Listen to this. He'd rather have your no than your equivocated yes, than your half-hearted yes. He'd rather you be on that side of the fence or that side of the fence, but being on the fence is not a good place. It is where the enemy will come at you. He wants a yes or a no. Jesus said as much in Luke 14. He said, large crowds were traveling. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, let's clarify what he's saying here. Is he saying hate your parents? No. Hate your family? No. What he's saying is, see, here's the thing. As Americans, this is a really good indicator. If scripture doesn't make sense to you, but it makes sense to every other persecuted Christian around the world, we need to let that sink in. See, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in Syria, if you're in Pakistan and you're becoming a Christian, they read this and they're like, oh, I totally know what Jesus is saying. Because in a Muslim culture, Sharia law says that the parents have a right to stone you to death if you become a Christian. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're not willing to step away from your family who might stone you to death to become a Christian, you can't be my disciple. We don't understand. The reason why this verse doesn't make any sense to us Americans is because we... We have a watered-down version of Christianity. And so verses like this don't make any sense to us. But see, Christians around the world, in China, in Asia, the decision when someone says, do you want to follow Jesus, it's not a decision to go to church or not on Sunday morning. The decision to follow Jesus is, do I surrender everything to this Jesus I believe is real and will change my life? And I could possibly die. I have to be willing to give up my life. My own parents, my brother may come after me with a sword. My parents may stone me to death, but is he worth it? That's their decision when the invitation is given. And here's the deal, guys. They're saying yes by the hundreds of thousands around the world to this Jesus that we have a hard time saying yes to going to Sunday morning. There's a guy... uh, named Leif Hetland. He has a ministry in Pakistan. He's seeing hundreds of thousands of Pakistani Muslims risk their life to become followers of Jesus. Hundreds of thousands. 
Guys, the rest of the world looks at American Christianity and doesn't even understand what, what it sees. It doesn't make any sense to them. Just like this verse doesn't make any sense. See, this verse makes complete sense to them and makes no sense to us. In our attempts to get people to follow Jesus, there's a part of me that feels like we've coddled people so much that we haven't told them what real discipleship is. Jesus continues. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And we see that over and over again in our culture. People kind of saying they're a Christian, but then not able to finish the race that they started. They didn't count the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He sees a huge crowd of people following him. They love the signs. They love the miracles. They love that he multiplies the fish and the love. They love that stuff. We love that stuff. And they're all with him, and they're like, Jesus, we're with you. And Jesus goes, really? Because we're going to the cross. Everyone's still with me? If you want to go with me, Leave your family. If you want to go with me, die to yourself. If you want to go with me, take up your cross and follow me. Otherwise, you can't come. He's thinning out the herd. <laughs> Listen, he's talking and people are walking away. He finishes. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't the first sit down and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. If you don't give up everything you have, you can't be my disciple. Wow. I think this is really relevant for us. The example that he gave was two kings at war. Do you know that we're in a war? There's a spiritual war going on. There's a kingdom of darkness at war with the kingdom of light, and we are of the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is at war with us. But here's what I think a lot of us have done, especially in America and Europe. We've made a peace treaty with the enemy. Just like this verse says. We think the enemy, we think the culture, we think the darkness is so big, we can't stand against it. We think they have 20,000 and we have 10,000. It's not the truth, but that's what we think. It's too hard. It's too crazy being a radical Christian. Let's make a peace treaty. Here you go, enemy. I promise I'm not going to be a crazy Christian. I promise I'm not going to be too radical. I, prom I promise everyone's going to get along. And enemy, here's the treaty. I'll do that, and you stay over there and don't hurt my family. Don't mess with my American dream. Let me get the house and the car and the nice family. Don't mess with my American dream. Deal? Have we not made this peace treaty with the enemy? I know I have. It's why I'd want to go to my younger self and say, do not make the peace treaty with the enemy. Give God your yes. Don't do this half-hearted Christianity thing. It's not worth it. So how does this happen? How do we give God our yes? Well, first, we got to know that God gave us his yes. Do you realize that? He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done for us. He did it first. We don't give God our yes because we're trying to be spiritual. We give God our yes in response to the fact that he gave us his absolute, unconditional, full-on yes over our lives. Do you know that you have a yes hovering over your life right now? 
If you don't, I want to explain it this morning. Here's Paul's words to, to, to the Corinthians. This is one of his second or third letters to them. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. He asked this question, was I fickle when I intended to do this or do I make my plans with a world, in a worldly manner? And look what he calls worldly manner. So that in the same breath, I say both yes, yes, and no, no. He's telling him his travel plans. He's like, guys, did, did, I, what, did I do that in a worldly manner? Did I let my yes be yes and my no be no? Did I, did I say yes and no? Did I do both? And then watch what he says about God's yes over our life. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Do you realize that God's word over your life through Jesus Christ is yes? That he didn't give you a yes and a no in the gospel? That in Jesus, it's yes. He looks at you, he says yes. Hovering over your life, yes. Capital Y-E-S. God said yes over your life in Jesus. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All the promises of scripture get fulfillment in Jesus. It's a gigantic yes to you. And then watch what he says. He says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What does amen mean? It means I stand in agreement with you. It means yes. So God has a yes hovering over our life, but you know what it's looking for. That yes is looking for a place to land. You know where it lands? It lands on the amen. It's looking for a yes in your heart where you say yes to God, and then God's yes comes and lands on you. We say amen to his yes over our life. We say yes back to his yes. We have an example of this in nature. It's lightning. We've had some storms here recently. Here's how lightning works. This thing over here is called a step leader. And what happens is clouds get really charged with particles. And then this thing, and in a fraction of a second, you can't see it unless you have slow motion camera technology, and it splinters out. You know what it's doing? It's looking for a connection. You know what this is? Some of you can't even see it. It's called a positive streamer. It actually, the charges in the air, God's yes over our life, pulls on the positive streamer. So what we think that lightning strikes the ground. It doesn't. Did you know that it doesn't? Do you know that it doesn't even hit a building? What it hits is the positive streamer that's coming up from that tree, from that building, from that ground. This is what it looks like, guys. And when they meet in the air like this, boom, that's lightning. All of that energy in the cloud then gets released through that channel. Hotter than the sun. It literally explodes the air. It's so hot. That's why we hear thunder. This is his yes over our life. And that streamer, you see how small it is? It's not a big, giant yes. It's a small yes, but it's a full-on, all-in yes. And when it connects with God's yes, that's when the power happens. That's when God uses our life to change the world. I think of the parable of the sower. The seed is God's yes over our life. Do you know that the farmer sowed that seed everywhere? Every part of soil got the seed. Every kind of soil got a yes over their life. But it was up to the soil 
to decide what was going to happen to that seed. It's up to the condition of our hearts to decide that yes over our life, what happens to that yes that God gives us over our life. The condition of our heart matters. Here's the parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying that seed is going out into all the earth. God's yes is going out to everyone. There's a yes hovering over your life. But what does it land on? What's the condition of your heart? And then he tells his disciples what he meant by this parable. The soil is our yes back to God. What kind of yes do you have back to God? Is it a conditional? Is it mixed in with other no's? Or is it just yes? He goes on to explain the parable. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So sometimes there's a yes over someone's life, but they don't understand it. They don't even know it. So the enemy comes and snatches that away. I think for most of us in here, though, these next two are really relevant. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. The yes comes, and and we say, yes, God, yes, initially. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The roots try to go down, and there's a bunch of rocks there. In other words, there's a bunch of no's mixed in to the yes. And what I've seen this in in the life of my friends. I've seen this where first, they're really excited about Jesus, but there's no root, meaning they don't spend time with them. There's no time in the word. There's no time in prayer. There's no intimacy developed. Listen, if we don't have that root system in our life, over time, the weathering storms of life will scorch our faith life. And all these no's start get mixed in. Yes, God, I said yes, but, but, um, but no, not that. And, and yes, yes to this, but no, God, I don't know about that. And no, and no, and the, the, the rocks start to mount up. Or how about this next one? The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So what's interesting about this one is it's not that they said yes and then they have a bunch of no's, a bunch of rocky soil. It's that they said yes to God and then they said yes to five other things. Yes, God, and oh, um, huge career. Yes to that and deceitfulness of wealth. Yes to that and fears and worries about all kinds of things. Yes to that. And you can see that if you have a yes to God initially, but then you say yes to all these other things, it's like these weeds grow with the plant. And it's not that the plant doesn't exist. Did you notice? It's that the plant doesn't bear fruit. Will you make it into heaven? Sure. Are you going to impact anyone's life? Nope. No fruit. Why? You said yes to everything. Instead of yes to God and then let everything unfold from this yes. 
This yes. No fruit. Finally, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. This is the one who is fruitful. This is the one that impacts their coworkers and their neighbors and their families and the people around them. Yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the person that said yes to God and wakes up every morning and says yes to God. God, all I have for you, all that's left in me is a yes. I don't have a no anymore. What I want you to imagine, this is sort of what God convicted me of. What I want you to imagine in your back pocket are two cards. One that says yes and one that says no. And when you became a Christian, you held up that yes card to God. And that's amazing. But here's, I think, sometimes how we talk about Christianity, especially in Western Christianity. The typical Christian life is this. I hold up my yes card to God as much as I can, and I occasionally hold up my no card to him. Here's what I want you to leave this morning. I do not want you to think that the Christian life is holding up your yes card to God as much as you can. And then just when you just get exhausted by holding up the yes, sometimes you hold up the no. Sometimes, God, it's just too much. I can't do that. It's just too hard. It's just too hard to do that, God. I hold up my no. Guys, that is not the Christian life. Here's what I want you to notice. I still hold both cards. I hold both of them. Who still has ownership over the yes and no if I'm holding both the yes and the no? I'm holding both. Guys, too often Christianity, especially in America, is we get to hold the cards. That's what we think it is. And I just hold up yes a lot to God. That's not it. That's not what Jesus said when he said, leave everything behind and come follow me. That's not what you signed up for. And if someone preached the gospel to you and they said that's what you were signing up for, then let me be the one to apologize. They preached a false gospel to you. When you said yes to Jesus, that's not what you signed up for. Here's how Jesus describes the Christian life. I surrender my yes card to God and I rip up my no card. Here's what God said to me five years ago. He said, he said in a lot of different ways over a, a many month period, he basically said, Mark, you've given me a lot of yes, but here's the deal. You still have a lot of no and you keep holding up that no card. Here's what I want you to do. Rip up the no card and I want you to slide across the table the yes card. You do not have possession of it anymore. You don't get to hold up the yes card, Mark. I hold up the yes card over your life. When I say go, you go. When I say do this, you do it. Until you have no more no left in you. Until the no cards have all been ripped up. And God gets to hold up the yes over my life whenever he wants. Whenever he wants. Wherever he wants. However he wants. That's what Jesus was inviting you into when he said, come follow me. With that new knowledge, how many of us would say, no thanks. That's the gospel. Notice that we don't have any cards left. Following Jesus means I've got no cards. I don't even have a yes. He holds my yes. I don't have a no. He's got them all. He's got all the cards. I surrender to him. In order to give God our yes, we must, number one, learn to hear his voice. 
At some point, when Jesus invited you to be a Christian, you heard his voice in some way. You heard a tugging in your heart. You heard a calling on your life. Something in you, you heard him. We need to hear him every day. We need to learn his voice because he's constantly talking. Do you know that his nickname is Word of God? You think he's not talking to you? He's talking to you every day. Let me clear it up for you. I don't think God's talking to me. Every single day he's talking to you. My, I don't, I don't hear him. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Start there. This is where I had to start. God is talking to me every day, and I have not heard him in years. And I need to let that sink in. That's a problem in my life. And I need to learn and submit and be quiet before the Lord and hear his voice in Scripture. Hear him in prayer. Hear him say, go do that thing. Go pray for that person in front of you. Go pay for the groceries of that single mom that's standing in the grocery store line in front of you. I don't, I don't know, God. I, I mean, she, she's going to think that's weird. And Mark, are you saying you still have a no? Or did you rip up that no? I don't have a no, but I have a bunch of cards that say hesitation. Does that count? Number two. Understand that yes sometimes means go and sometimes means stay. Sometimes it means go. I have a really good friend, grew up, Jen and I grew up in the, in the same youth group with him. His name is Tim. He's been a youth pastor. He has a one biological child. He has four adoptive ch- children. One of them has Down syndrome. This guy is a guy that's used to saying yes to God. And, and a few months ago, God told him and his wife, get up and go to Belize. And I want you to be missionaries there to reach the kids in Belize. And he said yes. And so sometimes saying yes means you got to go. You got you to leave it all behind and you got to go. Even when it doesn't make sense, you got to go. And sometimes it means you got to stay. God, I'm ready to go. Tell me to go. I'm ready to go. Some of us are like, where am I going? Sign me up. Pack my bags. And God says, awesome. I love that heart. Now stay right there. And we're like, whoa, that's not cool. Stay. You remember the, the Gerasene demoniac, that crazy guy that was in chains that was off in the cave, and Jesus came over, told Legion to get out of him, and they went to a bunch of pigs, and they ran down. And Do you guys remember that story? And he was clean and in his right mind, and, 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 and the whole townspeople kicked Jesus out, and he's like, awesome, I got to get away from these people. They think I'm crazy still. So he's like, Jesus, I want to come follow you. You know what Jesus said? No. You stay here and go tell the town what God did for you. Sometimes it means, like Ephesians 6 says, we stand. When we've done all we know to do, we stand. We dig our heels in and we stand for the kingdom of God because you know we're in a war and he needs some people to stand and hold the line for the kingdom of light. He needs some people to advance into the kingdom of darkness and he needs some people to stand and hold the line. So sometimes saying yes to God means staying. Number three, allow the Holy Spirit to show us where we still have a no. This is the prayer to pray. Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is what he was, when I was on the side of the road, weeping my brains out. That's what it became. Search me, God. Like, Holy Spirit is like the awesome Google search engine 
of the heart. Search me, God. Holy Spirit, come in and bring up. What he'll do is he'll bring up to the surface of your mind where you're still saying no. If you ask him, he'll shine a light on it. This is where you're still saying no to me. You remember when I asked you to do this? You said no. You remember when I prompted you to do this? You said no. And just let him bring them up until you can rip up every single no card, until there's none left. Until you can raise your hands to the Lord, just by yourself, alone with him, and you can say, God, all I have left for you is yes. God, all I have left for you is yes. Number four, realize that God will let us experience the consequences of our no. He will let us experience what it feels like, the pain of what it feels like to say no. He's not going to protect us from that. If you say no to God, there are consequences, and you will experience them. Yes, but God's a God of grace. Exactly. This is his grace. Letting you feel the pain of a no. Believe me, he has let me feel the pain of a no, because next time I don't want to say no. I don't want to say no. I, I felt what no felt like, and it, it is deeply, deeply painful when he shows you what that no, the consequences of that no. And it helps you get to a place where all you have left is yes. Guys, here's the deal. Your no's don't only hurt you, they hurt the people around you. That person you were supposed to go pray for, how do you know they didn't get healed right there in that store? You said no. God was about to do a work in their life, and you said no. You think that just hurts your faith? What happened to them? God said, pay for that, that single mom's groceries in front of you. You said no. What do you think it did to her? Yes, it hurt your faith to say no. What did it do to her? No's have consequences, and you will experience the consequence, and he'll let it happen. And that's his grace. That's his love for you. Number five, rip up your no cards, guys, until all we have left is a yes. Then give God the yes card to use however he wants. Don't even hold on to the yes card. Just he gets to hold up the yes card. He gets to say, Mark, it's time to say yes to me. Now's the time to say yes. It's his card, not mine. Oh, man, I'm so tired of a life of no. Guys, are you not tired of a life of no? I'm so sick of a life of no. I've lived that life. I don't want that life anymore. Are you guys with me? I want a life where it's all yes. All I have, God, is yes. That's all I have. As the worship team comes up, just a couple closing questions. Where is there still a no in you? And what would an unconditional yes look like? We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit, who's the ultimate search engine of the heart. We're going to ask him to go into the deep places right now. And we're going to ask him to, to bring it to light. And all you have to do is just recognize that it's a no. Confess it. Say, God, forgive me for saying no. And just hand it over to him. Just picture yourself handing it to him. Or if, or if you want to picture yourself ripping up a card that says no, that you can do that too. Let's just take a couple minutes to do that. So bow your head, close your eyes. Father, I'm grateful that you showed up in my car that day. 
and that you love me so much that you refused to let me keep living a life that was filled with no's to you. That you saw me and you said, I refuse to let Mark keep living this life where he has a mixture of yeses and no's. God, that in your grace and in your compassion and in your love, you came and you called me out. And you challenged me to stop fighting you. God, I don't want to fight you anymore. God, in this room, we surrender to you this morning. And God, we've said yes to you so many times, but, but there might be some no's hiding underneath. Maybe we've said yes to way too many things instead of just a gigantic yes to you. Holy Spirit, come. Search our hearts, oh God. See if there's any offensive way in us. See if there's any no. And I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, you would bring those no's to the surface of our minds. The times that we've said no to you that they might be ripped up and surrendered till all we have left is a yes. Holy Spirit, we give you permission now. Illumination in Jesus' name. Just take a couple minutes with the Lord. knows to you at the foot of the cross we rip up our no card this morning we slide that yes card across the table God we surrender Lord whatever you ask me to do I'm going to do it whatever you ask me to do I'm going to do it Father, I thank you for the yes that hovers over every person in this room. That your word over their life is not a yes and a no. It is a yes in Christ Jesus. God, we want to respond to you with a yes in our hearts. That we might bear fruit. For your glory, Lord.